Praise the Lord. If you can, would you stand with me? <clears throat> Open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. When you got it, say so. All right. I didn't hear any so's except my wife, so I'll wait. All right. There we go. There we go. Let's do it. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into, the, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, thank you so much for the precious, precious blood of our Savior Jesus. And thank you for the privilege that we have to come together to worship and to lift up your great and your glorious name. Holy Spirit, we pray that even as you are here now, that you would captivate our minds and our hearts, that you would remove all distractions, and that we would be able to focus in on your word this morning. And God, that as we hear your word, as your word enters our ears and our minds and our hearts, that it would change us that it would build our faith and that it would empower us to live more boldly for your glory and for your honor, God. We pray this in Jesus' good name and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you are able to follow along um, in the introduction of the sermon. And as always, we want to make sure that you are able um, as well to take notes. And um, hopefully you are utilizing this as a tool. I know that I say this every week and I want to make sure that I always remind you that you are a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. And one thing that is important for us is that we are sharing our faith with others and that we are helping others grow in their faith. And so there's some people in your life that they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel from the point of um, needing salvation to come into their lives. There's other people that need to be reminded of the gospel. They're already believers and they need you just like I'm going to do this morning to remind them of what Jesus has done. Because I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded about what Jesus has done. 
I need to be reminded of who I am in him. I need to be reminded constantly about what, uh, what it is that Jesus did for me. And so my hope is that you'll use this as an opportunity for you to be able to help someone else grow in their faith and continue, continue along in their journey. And listen, let me just say this, whether it's a believer or a non-believer, you can sit down with them and you can walk through the scriptures with them and see how those scriptures would apply to their lives. In some moments, um, it's you calling someone to repentance or them recognizing that these benefits don't apply to them. Next week is going to, I want you to know, I'm excited about today because I'm preaching through this part, but I'm super excited about next week because when we begin to talk about Adam and Jesus and we look at that comparison, it is so awesome um, to see that. But you're able to know some things about who you are simply because of either you are in Christ or you are in Adam. It's one or the other. And so today we're going to deal with the blessings of justification. And so if you have your outline there, you'll notice, again, just pointing you to that so we can see how we're walking through these seven portions. We are in this third portion here, um, salvation and righteousness, I'm sorry, the second portion there, and we're in um, the letter C, the, the whole, I'm, I don't know why I keep saying that, but justification explained, and, and the third one, we're, we're in C there, um, justification explained, um, and we're going to deal with that in two parts, like I said, we'll deal with the first part today, in the beginning of chapter 5, and the next week we'll wrap it up, but justification is being explained, and it's almost as if the Apostle Paul, when he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like he parts for a moment. And he says, I really want to make sure that you Romans understand fully what it is that Jesus has done. I want you to understand this word justification. And that's the reason why I told you that the book of Romans is so, so important to um, the, the whole New Testament, but for us as believers, because the Apostle Paul has gone at length to explain some deep truths that we need to hold and understand as a reality. And today, we're going to speak through, through verses 1 through 11 on the blessings of our justification. If you look at your outline here, our faith in God must be rooted in the doctrine of justification. Our faith in God must be rooted in the doctrine of justification. Why do I say that? Because the reason why I can trust God as good is because I am justified. If I listen to me when I say this, if you and I are not justified, we should do nothing but want to run from God. We will never want to run to Him. Are you hearing me? Because God is holy, God is righteous, and God cannot dwell where there is sin. And so we cannot save ourselves and we can never be righteous enough. Therefore, if we do not have this doctrine, this teaching of, of justification, then listen, we don't have anything to rejoice in. We don't have anything to be happy about because the only thing that we know is that we are going to experience the wrath of God. And so when we talk about our faith in God, I want you to think about that. Our faith in him must be rooted in this doctrine. Why? Because everything that we have in your outline here is because of the price Jesus paid for our justification. Everything we have as Christians, everything we have as believers, the blessings that we have been granted in Christ are the result of our justification. And so every blessing, everything that we're ever going to have, the things we're going to talk about today are the results of our justification. And so 
what we understand is that we must completely understand what justification is and what blessings it affords us. If we are going to, to experience and know what it is, this is what the Apostle Paul wants us to know and wants us to grasp fully is what is justification and what are the blessings associated with justification. I want you to think about this this morning. <clears throat> to fully grasp the greatness of justification, we must understand the severity of God's wrath. To fully grasp the greatness of justification, we must understand the severity of God's wrath. Now, what, what, what I want to do in these next few moments, especially in this first point here, is I want to help drive this point home. But I need you to understand when the Apostle Paul is speaking in these terms of justification, I'll reiterate this in a moment, he is speaking in terms uh, in those days that they would have understood about this message of peace that he was bringing. He's speaking in war terms, and he's talking about a message of peace. He's talking about this message that God brings, this, this, this thought of justification between God and man. There is a war that is there. When you're an enemy of someone, I mean, there is wrath that is coming. When you are an enemy of another nation, I mean, one of the reasons why we want to make sure that North Korea stops with their nuclear stuff is because what? Because, those, because we know that they will for sure blow us up if they have their stuff up and running. Are you here? Yeah, 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 y'all ain't getting that. But, but, but there, there, there's a reason you should pray for that, right? Because these are the type of folks that they will rise up and they're, they're the type of enemies that you don't want to have, especially to have that type of arsenal on their side. That's just the reality, right? That's something that is there that we have to understand. And so for us, we understand that in those terms. But here we see that Paul is speaking to them and he's trying to help them to understand, listen, the one that you were the enemy of is God himself. The one who the writer of Hebrews says that it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of this almighty God. It is a fearful thing. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Not, not a some-consuming, but an all-consuming fire. And so there is a positive aspect to that because he consumes and he purifies us and he cleanses us. And so when we pray, God, let your fire fall on us, let your fire consume our hearts, what we're praying is that his purifying work would be evident inside of us and that he would consume us and he would give us a passion for his presence. But you and I need to understand there is also a negative connotation to God being a consuming fire and is that he will destroy every everything that comes in his way that is in opposition to him. And so for us to fully grasp the greatness of our justification, we must understand the severity of God's wrath. And so say this with me, our faith in Christ brings us peace with God. Our faith in Christ brings us peace with God. Justification, this is what, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Justification is to be made right with God based upon nothing we have done and despite everything we have done. Are you here? I'll say it again. Justification is to be made right with God based upon nothing that we have done despite everything we have done. That's what justification is. It is for you and I to be made right. We are made right with God based upon nothing that we've done. It's not because of anything that we have done. As a matter of fact, it is despite everything that we have done. 
All of our sin against God, all of our rebellion against God, all of our disobedience, all of our breaking of his commandments, despite that, God has done something for us that we could never, ever do for ourselves. And so what does the apostle say? Look at verse 1 and 2. He says this. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, now let that sink in. Having been justified by faith, we have been made right with God by faith. But what does that really mean, to be made right with God? I want you to get this. Justification and peace with God are synonymous. They go together. When you talk about there is justification, what you are saying is that I have been justified. I am saying that I now have peace with God. Our justification does what? It gives us peace with God based upon what Paul says here. And I want you to get this. When you think about the adverse, right, when you think about what, what not being justified is, it is being condemned. Condemnation is what? It means that God declares us sinners. Condemnation means that God declares us sinners, which is a declaration of war. Are you here? We're going to see this in my last point when we deal with the latter part of these verses where he speaks about God showing his love for us, that while we were his enemies, right, not his friends, not not, not someone who was cool with him, his enemies. This is what he says. When When we are condemned as sinners because we have broken God's law, remember we saw this throughout all of these first portion of Romans. What? What did we see? We saw clearly that we are all condemned under the same guilt of breaking and being violators of of breaking God's laws, which makes us God's enemies. And so we see here clearly that as God's enemies, we are what? We are, that's a declaration of war. But what does justification mean? Justification means that God declares us righteous, which is what? A declaration of peace. It's a declaration of peace that we have with God. And it's only made possible because of the death of Jesus. Let me read to you something else. The justified have peace with God. His wrath, listen to this, his wrath that we saw in chapter 1 verse 18 no longer threatens them. Now, I want you to grasp this, right? I, I need you to get this. Understand something. If you are an enemy of God, God's wrath is a threat to you. Are you here? Death is not something that you welcome. Death is something that you fear, right? You, don't, you, may, you may not even know this, but you should. If you are not a believer in Jesus, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, then you need to understand that you are separated from God. This is the gospel that we preach. It's not comfortable, right? We, we, we are in opposition to him, and as opponents of God, then we are subject to the wrath of God. And so it threatens us, but here's what happens. The justified at peace with God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, guess what? You're justified. And so you have peace with God. If you've responded to the call of God to put your faith in Jesus, to turn from your sin, you have peace with God. They, this is what it said, they are accepted in Christ. Listen to this. It is not a change in their feeling, which is indicated in these verses, but a change in God's relation to them. Let me say that again. It is not a change in their feelings, which is indicated. It's not about feeling peace. Are you here? Listen. You may feel peace because you have peace with God, but it's not about a feeling of peace. It's not talking about this peace that you have from God. It's peace with God. There's a difference. 
There's a difference between peace from God that we get, right? That's the, that's the sanctifying peace, right? That's where the book of Philippians tells us to be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. That is not the same peace that is being spoken of here. That peace in the book of Philippians, that is a sense of peace. That is a peace that stills your soul. This peace that is being spoken of here is a peace that God makes between you and himself through what Jesus did. Why? Because if he does not make peace with you, then you are his enemy and you are, you, you are under subjection to his wrath. But Jesus comes, he dies in our place to do what? To make peace. To make peace. And what do we have to do? What do we have to do? We have to have faith. We have to have faith. That's it. By faith, you've been justified. By faith, you've been justified. So the question is, hey, let's pause for a moment. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Is your faith in him? Not, not in your good works, not in your good days or your bad days. Is your faith in Christ? Is your trust in him? Have you put your faith in him fully and said, yep, I trust you. I trust your sacrifice. If you've done that, praise the Lord. You know what? You don't have to worry about God's wrath. But for us to really appreciate, for us to really appreciate, to really grasp how great justification is, we have to understand the wrath of God. He goes on to say in verse 2, he says, through whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's what I want to say. Our peace with God is a present position in which we stand and a future promised, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Listen to this. Understanding our justification allows us to enjoy our present peace with God as we look forward to an eternity of peace with God. Understanding our justification, it allows us to enjoy our present peace with God. It allows us to enjoy that, not because we feel it, but because we believe it. Because this is what God has communicated, and that is in what we stand. See, there are some days I feel justified, right? There are some moments that I feel justified. Have you ever made a decision that at one, when you made that decision, like you felt good about that decision, like you knew it was the right thing to do, right? You ever done that? And then all of a sudden you start thinking about it later on. After you made the decision, you're like, man, did I make the right decision? Right? And you start second-guessing yourself. You start doubting. You start thinking. It could have been a job change, right? It could have been, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different scenarios that we can bring up. But you, you knew in the beginning, hey, this is what I need to do, right? Like, this is the right thing to do. You felt justified in that decision. Well, you know what? That's what happens to us when we come to Jesus. Usually, we feel like this is the right thing to do. We know in our hearts we need Christ. We need to put our faith in him. We need to trust him. But then there are some moments in our lives as we keep walking, we start questioning that decision. We start questioning, did we even really make a decision? Did we really put our faith in him? Because we're not living for him the way that we should. It's not about a feeling. It's about standing firm. And then we do what? We rejoice in the glory of God that is to come. We look forward to a day that we're going to be in his presence. And so the second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our peace with God. Let's try that again. Our peace with God. There we go. Allows us to stand firm. While under trial, our peace with God allows us to stand firm while under trial. I love this. 
This is, you know, we have our memory verse, right, that, that we have, but there's so much rich, good stuff in the book of Romans. I would encourage you to memorize a lot of Romans, right? Memorize as much of Romans. I, I think I told you, I think it was the first sermon or something like that, that one of the commentators said that the book of Romans was a book that you could never hear enough, that it was one that you should memorize completely and meditate on daily. I would agree with him. I'm not going to go ahead and try to, you know, recite the book of Romans to you or with you, but I would encourage you to memorize portions, meditate on portions. And this is one that I love so very much. He goes on and says in verse 3 to verse 4, he says, and not only that, not only do we have peace with God, not only do we, are we able to stand firm, not only are we able to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character, character, hope. Oh, I love that. A second blessing. So we're talking about the blessings that we have. The first blessing is that we have peace with God, right? We have this peace with God. We're able to stand in this peace. We're able to rejoice in the future that we have with the Lord. And then this second blessing that we have here is what? Is that we are able to see the results of our justification peace is that we don't just expect trials. We don't just expect trials, but we glory in them. Now, 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 I don't know about you, right? But when I read this portion of scripture, I'm like, man, that, that, the reason why it's so encouraging is because I'm encouraged that I have a long way to go. Hello. I'm encouraged that I haven't arrived there. You know why? Because I'm not like this. I don't glory in tribulation. Are you here? In other words, I don't exalt. I don't exalt in tribulation. I, I, I don't feel triumphant in tribulation. But the apostle Paul says, and we do this, and we also do this. We glory in tribulation. We glory in this. We exalt. We, we actually rejoice in tribulation. This is what we do. We rejoice in tribulation. There's almost a triumphant mindset of the tribulation. Some of the writers that, that, that have commented on this, they, they actually said that, this is almost uh, 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 where, where believers invite, and not in the sense like they're like, hey, I want tribulation in my life, but they welcome tribulation because what? Not because they want tribulation, but because they want what tribulation produces. Are you here? I, I want you to grasp this. I, I want you to get this because this is the second blessing that we have is that we can glory in tribulation because tribulation produces something. Tribulation is cultivating something. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. G, tribulation plus Christ produces life. Tribulation plus Christ produces life. See, here's what I want you to get about that equation. If you take Christ out of the equation, what you get, we don't know. Because here's the reality. In some scenarios, tribulation produces bitterness. In some scenarios, tribulation produces doubt. In some scenarios, tribulation produces a separation from God, not a relationship with God. But when you understand that you have been justified and you have peace with God, then something happens when you go through tribulation. Tribulation produces what? It is endurance in some of your translations. It is perseverance, right? Because what happens is this. When you have tribulation plus Christ, then it does what? It's going to guarantee. This is, this is the process says, y'all, this is a discipline that we have to have in our lives because you know what? The reality is this. I know you because I know me. None of us. I have yet to meet the person. I've done a little bit of counseling in my life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, 
I'm going to be 42, I think, something like that, somewhere. I'm, I'm somewhere over the 40s, um, be, below 45. But anyway, I've been around for a little while on this earth. I've had a few conversations with some people, and I've yet to meet the person that is like, yes, I want tribulation in my life. I've yet to meet the person that is like, yes, I want to take the hard road in my life. I've yet to meet the person that does that. I've met people that have decided that they're going to take the hard road. I've met people that have decided they're going to go the difficult route. But I've yet to meet the person that wants to do that. Listen, we do everything we can not to deal with difficulty. You get around difficult people, what do you want to do? Get away from them. Hello? (laughs) I got a witness in the room. Amen. All right. You get around difficult situations, what do you want to do? You want to get out of there. You don't want to stay there. It's, it's kind of like a hot day in Florida. Come on now. You want to do everything you can not to go outside, glory to God. You want to stay in the AC. You want to sit down and relax. You don't want to be out there in the heat. I mean, that's just a reality. The reality is that we do not want hardship in our lives. If we are honest, we want to believe that Christianity is about no hardship, no difficulty, no trial, no tribulation. We want to believe that. But here's the truth. The truth is that we rejoice not in the ease of life. We rejoice in the tribulation of life. So let's talk about what tribulation is because it's important for us to understand what he's talking about here. The word means pressing. That's what it means. It means pressing or pressure, right? And so another way you could do that equation is that pressure plus Jesus equals life, right? Pressure plus Jesus equals life, whatever pressure you're going through. So when he's talking about pressure, he's talking about distress. And here's what I want you to understand about this word here, because this word tribulation can be applied in two different ways. One of them is actual tribulation that we go through because of our faith, right? Different tribulation, different trials that are direct results of our faith. And then there is another way that it can be used, which is the way that it's utilized here. It just means pressure. It just means trials. It just means difficulties of any kind. Why do we know this? Because context is king. And thus far in this book, the Apostle Paul has not introduced us to any kind of tribulation that is associated specifically with their faith other than the regular trials of life that we go through, the regular testing. So here's why this is important. Because when I'm looking at the text here, I can understand that when he's saying this word tribulation, it means distress. And here's what it means. It means an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. Let me say that again. It means distress. It means an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. And let me just ask you a question here. Have any of you experienced any kind of issues physically? Right? You felt some kind of sickness at some point in your life. You might have, you know, you might have broke a bone. You might have sprained something. You might have heard, you know, you might have got a bad report from the doctor. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could have happened, right, that you have experienced. And so what I want you to know is that that type of trial, that type of pressure can do what? It can produce perseverance. That's what it can do. I don't know about that. I mean, what about other things? How about mental? Have any of you ever had, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm not, I don't want you all to say I'm crazy, right? Like you're crazy or anything like that. But, but any of you ever felt mental pressure? Like you're worried about stuff, right? Or, or that emotional pressure, right? Like you're worried, you're consumed, like your mind is just running. And I mean, you're going through things. You don't know how stuff's going to work out, right? Like that kind of pressure. Like this is what we're talking about, any kind of pressure that is like that. What about on a social, on, on a social level, right, in relationships? Anybody have any kind of pressure in relationships? Come on now, right? Come on, there's some difficult people in this world, right? There's some difficult people in this room, hallelujah. You might be one of them. I know I'm one of them, glory to God. 
The reality is this, is that there's pressure in relationship. Listen, the only difference between you and I is that I recognize I'm difficult. You don't. Hello. Right? I recognize that I'm difficult. I recognize how hard I am sometimes. I, I realize, I'm just joking. I know you recognize that too. Maybe. I hope so. Anyway, the reality is this, is that we, we deal with social situations, right? Relational situations that, that, that bring pressure into our lives. And what does that do? What, 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 what can it produce? Well, it can either produce that, hey, I don't want to be around people. Hello. There's a book on my shelf in the office. I happen to glance over at it today. It says, impossible people. Hello. I need to read that book, glory to God. The, the, the point is that there are some impossible people. But what is it producing us? Well, he says this. He says that tribulation produces perseverance. What is perseverance? Perseverance is endurance, right? It's the picture of someone who is who, a, a person who is staying the course no matter the pressure that comes. A person who is staying the course no matter the pressure that comes. A person who is enduring hardship. A person who is enduring difficulty. A person who is enduring difficult people. A person who is enduring difficult thoughts. A person who is enduring under emotional pressure. A person who is enduring under financial hardship. A person who is enduring. That is what happens when you have Jesus plus your trial. Is it produces endurance. It produces perseverance. And what does perseverance produce? It produces character. In some of your Bibles, it might say approved character or proven character, right? It's, it's, it's about a person who, it, what happens is when you have trial and that trial produces the perseverance, then that perseverance, as you are going through the trial, what is happening? Your character is being proven. That's what's happening. Your character is being proven. Your character is being developed. Your character, you are being proven as someone who is approved, right? Who, who is approved. Like this person's life looks like Jesus. And, and listen, I know that sometimes, man, I know this. I know, I know how it feels to, you know, go through something and fail, right? Like you don't look like a Christian. Hello. Listen, what does that mean? That means that you come and you humble your heart before God. You repent of that and you begin to say, God, I want to endure. I want to walk through this trial the way that you want me to. I want to continue this race. I'm going to get up off the floor. I'm going to run with endurance the race that is set before. I'm going to do that. Why? Not because of who I am, but because I have peace with you. Therefore, I can do what? I can walk in that peace. And that proven character produces what? It produces hope. That's what it says here. It says it produces hope. Hope in what? Well, you know what? This is the hope. The hope is not about right now. The hope is about the future. Are you here? Listen, here's the hope. The hope is that you know that God is going to walk with you throughout this trial, whatever it is. He's going to give you the strength to endure. He's going to be the one that's going to prove your character. He is going to be the one that's going to bring you to that place of hope. And later on, you know what? It can be that you go through this life and you're in trial and tribulation and difficulty. And God is showing himself in and through your life. But you know what? One day you know that there's no more suffering, do you not? One day you know there's no more hardship, do you not? I know you don't want the hardship today. I don't want the hardship today. I know you want the trial to end. I want the trial to end. I know you want the pressure to stop. I want the pressure to stop. But the reality is what? The reality is that when I am walking with him and I'm persevering and my character is being proven, I have a hope in what? I have a hope in God. I have a hope in him and his strength. I have a hope in his grace. I have a hope in him for what he will do and that he that began this good work will bring it to completion. That's the hope. Amen. Listen, the reality is, is that pressure is going to be there. That's the truth. 
Pressure's going to be there. But you know what we can do? We can glory in it. We can exalt in it. We can say, hey, you know what? Not, not, not that you're being prideful. Don't get prideful on me now. Like, say, come on, bring it on. Hold on, time out. I'm not saying that. But that when it comes, you know it's going to come. When it comes, I can rejoice in it. When it comes, I can rejoice because I'm not happy about the pressure, whatever it is, but I'm, but I'm rejoicing in the one who's going to walk me through it. So that's what we do. See, here's the thing. The more time we spend in God's peace, the more firmly we will stand in God's peace. The more time we spend in God's peace, the more firmly we will stand in God's peace. You see, no matter what, see, here's the thing that happens. And this is why Paul is sharing this. Because what happens to us is that when we know we have peace with God, whenever life doesn't respond peacefully, we start to question, do I really have peace with God? You need to know your peace with God is not determined by surrounding situations. You need to know your peace with God is based upon what Jesus did thousands of years ago. And nothing can change that work. He said it's finished. So he gives us peace that we can trust and we can walk in because of what? Because he says he's made peace with us. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is say our hope is secured in the reality of God's love. Our hope is secured in the reality of God's love. Look at what he says here in verse 5. He says, now hope does not disappoint. That word disappoint there, it doesn't make you ashamed is what, it's, is what it means there. Hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, hope does not disappoint. This hope that our tribulation, that our perseverance, that our proven character brings us to does not disappoint. Why doesn't it disappoint? It's because of the love of God that is poured out in our hearts. It's not because we think that everything is going to happen the way that we want. It's not because everything works out the way that we feel that it should. It is because of the love of God that has been poured out into our hearts. So it doesn't make us ashamed. Oh, you know what? Hey, there, there's plenty of times you and I go through things, and we don't see things work out the way that we anticipate or that we wish that they would. And people start looking around, and people start looking at our lives, and like, man, where's your God? Where's your God in that situation? Where's your God in that, in that sickness? Where's your God in that financial thing? Where's your God in whatever the thing is? And all of a sudden, someone starts to feel super discouraged. We start to feel some kind of way like God has forgotten us or God has abandoned us. But what does God say here? He says that hope that is placed in the one that has made peace with us, it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't make you ashamed. Because you know what? God didn't promise us an easy life. He promised to walk with us for all of our life. That's what he promised. So we can trust him that he's walking with us. Our hope is secured in the reality of his love. Through trials, our hope in Christ is strengthened. How? As we come to know in a more clear and full way the magnitude of his love. If you have your Bibles, I just want you to hold your place in the book of Romans. But I want you to turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. A book that we've already gone through in the past. But I want you to see what the Apostle Paul prays. Chapters 1 through 3 we know in the book of Ephesians those are all him speaking about what Christ has done for us. 
And as he's wrapping up his conversation with them in chapter 3, right before he goes into what is expected or what is the result of what Jesus has done, this is how he ends that moment. He says, for this reason, because of everything that he's just said, because of our adoption, because of, of, of us having faith in Christ and our salvation, that is a gift and not something we can boast in. Because of all of these things, because God has made peace with us, because we've been predestined for good works, because of all of these things, he says, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able, listen to this, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the height and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with a fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The apostle Paul prays for what? He prays for us to come to the full understanding that is beyond knowledge. That's, that's a crazy prayer. He's like, I want you to know something you can never know. Are you here? That's what he prays. I want you to know something that you can never fully know. I want you to know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge, that surpasses anything that you can comprehend, right? When you look at that, he says that you would be able to know the width, the length, the depth, and the height. He wants you to go to like the fourth dimension of understanding beyond any dimension that we've ever been, right? That sounds like Star Trek or something like that. But nonetheless, he wants you to understand God's love, the magnitude of his love, because that is what does what? That is what encourages our hearts when we go through trials, when we go through hardship, when we go through difficulty. And so how do we know about this love? If you turn back to the book of Romans chapter 5, he says this. He goes on, he says in verse 6, he says, For when we were still without strength, this is how we know the love of God. When we were still without strength, how is it that we come to know the love of God? I'm going to tell you what we have as a benefit that the people in the time that Paul was writing have that they did not have. The thing that we have as a benefit is that we have all of these books that the Apostle Paul has written. See, when the Apostle Paul was praying for the church of Ephesus, the book of Romans wasn't accessible to them. They didn't have that letter that they could go ahead and look at. But you and I do. So we can look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays. And then we can go into the scripture and say, God, I want to grow in this love. And so he gives us how we grow in this love. It's by understanding these things. For when we were still without strength, in other words, when we were without ability to save ourselves, we were without ability to save and deliver ourselves from the wrath that was to come. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was us. In due time, he died for the ungodly. And look what he goes on to say. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. And so he makes this position here. He shows, he says, listen, for a righteous man, scarcely someone would die. A righteous person, someone who does everything right. Someone who commands respect because of their piety. Man, some people are going to be like, man, he could die for himself. I'm not going to die for him. But then there's the person that's good. 
There's the person that it doesn't just deserve respect, but this person doesn't just do right. This person demands or he commands your affection. For that person, someone might die for that person. Say, man, I'll die for him because I love him because he's good. I'll, I'll die for that person. And Paul says, you know what? Somebody might die for him. But, but let me show you the love of God. The love of God is this. And, and, and if anybody ever tells you that the cross is not a demonstration of the love of God, if you ever hear that, they don't know what they're talking about. Because look at what the Bible says clearly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows us his love. And so where is God's love rooted? It's rooted in what he did on the cross for us. For our lives, that's where his love is demonstrated. That's where the revelation of his love, should I say, is rooted in the revelation of the cross and what Jesus does. And so he says to us that God demonstrates this. While somebody may die for someone good, while someone would rarely die for someone righteous, God doesn't die for the righteous. He doesn't die for the good. He dies for the ungodly. We'll never be righteous enough. We'll never be good enough. We are ungodly for sure, and he dies for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Remember what I told you earlier is that for us to understand the greatness of our justification, we have to understand the severity of God's wrath. And much more, we shall be saved from what? From the wrath through him, through Jesus. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, I love this. Notice the second and not only that. The first one was in verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice. In verse 3 could have said the same thing. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation, another big word here. You know what that word has the picture of? It has a word of exchange. There's a great exchange that was made. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And if you read that portion of, 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 of 2 Corinthians, you'll see that he is speaking about this exact thing which is the ministry of reconciliation that all of us have been given. And he says something, and he says there, he says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of him who died for us. That is so awesome. That is the great exchange. That is the ministry of reconciliation that you and I have been entrusted with. The magnitude of God's love should do what? It should produce rejoicing in our hearts. Are you here? It should produce rejoicing, rejoicing in God because of what he did for us, rejoicing in God because of the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, rejoicing in God because of his greatness. Listen, that is what should happen when we understand the blessing of justification, that while we were his enemies, that while we were ungodly, that while we were without strength, that Jesus died to make peace for the ones that were his enemies by their decisions, that he died to make peace with us. That is the proclamation, the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled so that way we can preach and proclaim reconciliation with God. Jesus died so we could have peace with God. So here's my closing question for you. How has the peace God made with you changed your life? How has it changed your life? 
I hope, is that it has made you a person who is so grateful for what Jesus has done that you are sharing that ministry of reconciliation with a world that needs to hear it. Because this message of justification, this message that God has brought us peace, you know what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to be proclaimed, not just understood. It's supposed to be declared, not just embraced by you. It's supposed to be shared. And that way what? And that way the world can know what Jesus did in order to bring them salvation, in order to bring them deliverance so they can turn from their sin. And listen, not everybody's going to turn, but the reality is we have been entrusted with this ministry. And so my question is, how has it changed you? How has it changed your life? How has it changed the way that you look at life? How has it changed the way that you view yourself? Listen. Do you see yourself as a loved son? Do you see yourself as a loved daughter? Do you see yourself as one that God has made peace with? Do you see yourself as one that you no longer have to fear the wrath of God, but you can trust in his goodness? Do you see that? Are you, are you listen, what area in your life, what area in your life are you going through pressure right now? Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it is social. Maybe it is spiritual. I don't know. Where is the pressure in your life? And how is the peace of God changing that? Listen, if we trust what Jesus has done, every area of our life should be changed by that. Amen? Amen. So I stand on our feet and let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for my brothers, for my sisters. Above all, thank you, God, for your great love toward us that you show us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for doing for us what only you could do. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are going through pressure in their life right now, that are going through trials, that are going through tribulations of their faith, that are going through difficulties, God. Lord, I pray for them today that your Holy Spirit would be upon them in a mighty, mighty way, that you give them the strength to overcome, that you give them the strength Lord God, to walk in the fullness of your power, in the fullness of your wisdom, in the fullness of your will in their lives. Being, Lord God, and understanding, Lord, that they have peace with you because of what you did on that cross. God, we give you praise for this, and we thank you for this, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise.